Welcome to the Guitar Freaks Podcast, where we turn beginning guitar players into guitar freaks. This podcast is sponsored by Fret Deck. And now your host, Justin Comstock. Welcome to the Guitar Freaks Podcast. This is your host, Justin Comstock. I am super pumped today to have Jamie Arendt on the podcast. Jamie, how are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on here, Justin. We're excited to, to talk guitars. We're excited to talk music and blues, aren't we? Oh, yeah. <laughs> My favorite uh, topic. Yeah, mine too. <laughs> so chances? awesome. So, Jamie, um, we want to know a little bit about you. What is, what is your story with the guitar? Take us, on, take us on the journey that you have been on. Yeah. So I started playing guitar when I was 12. Um, I was always into music before that, but I never really stuck to any instrument you know did the typical piano lessons that my parents forced me to do when i was a kid and you know didn't practice and wasn't into it but i still really liked music and would kind of you know listen to stuff around the house or buy little toy instruments um, but i never really seriously studied music but i knew it was something i really enjoyed and um when i was about 11 or 12 for whatever reason, I got hooked on the oldies station. I grew up in Denver, cool 105, good times, great oldies. And the Beatles really caught my ear. And I became absolutely obsessed with the Beatles. Started buying every book, you know, t-shirts, every album, just all anything that had the Beatles logo I could get my hands on. And I remember it was one afternoon, um, you know, I was 12, sixth grade. I was watching the video from the Beatles anthology on VHS. And I think it was, you know, probably that video of them playing Revolution or maybe it was the rooftop concert. But I thought, you know, I know all these songs from listening to them and, you know, they're holding guitars. Maybe I should play guitar. That, and then I kind of thought about it for a second and yeah, okay, I need to get a guitar and begged my parents and, you know, they were super cool about it. And two days later, uh, went to the musician's friend in Denver back when they used to have brick and mortar stores yeah, I don't yeah. think they do anymore and got you know the the starter squire <laughs> uh it was a squire fat strat that had the humbucker and the bridge and a little nice. epiphone amp and uh you know started taking lessons um about a week later and you know that's kind of how it all started um you know really with Beatles stuff and Beatles Very tunes cool. and uh yeah and then from there what kind of sealed the deal for doing i mean i loved it. it was playing it was an obsession but when i heard stevie ray vaughn like most guitar players you know of my generation born in the 70s and 80s um that's what did it and the reason that that came about my first uh guitar magazine i bought was a guitar world you know from sam goody in the mall and it yeah, yeah. had stevie ray on the cover it was like probably the march 99 issue and um I was like, who is this guy? And my dad, you know, music fan, loves jazz and blues and R&B yeah. and said, oh, you, you dig him. He's great. And just coincidentally, the VH1 Legends episode about Stevie was on, you know, a couple days later. I used to watch a lot of VH1 back in that time. Yep. And so I watched it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I watched it. And um, I was like, man, this, this music floored me, this guitar playing. And uh, that kind of coincided with around the time that the Blues Brothers 2000 movie came out. Yeah. And that scene with B.B. King and just that all-star yes. band that has everybody in it, that yes. you know, super group. And 
those things sort of sealed the deal that, you know, this is the music I liked and what I want to study. And so that is kind of where the music and blues particularly became the lifelong pursuit. Yeah. Um, yeah. So very awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. So Stevie Ray Vaughan influenced me a lot as well. And I remember growing up um, and my dad coming home, I, I first started, you know, playing the guitar and listening to like Van Halen and, and ACDC and all that hard rock. My dad came home with a DVD and he's like, we need to sit down and watch this tonight. And I'm like, okay, what is it? And he, and he showed me the cover. It was Steve Ray Vaughan live at uh, Austin city limits. Oh yeah. And we, he put it on and I was floored. I was just like, I've never seen anybody play the guitar like that with so much emotion, so much passion. And he knew that fretboard he's playing all over. And, and then you hear his voice and there's just so much energy and emotion and power in just, it's just everything he did. Right. So yeah, I, I was definitely influenced by Steve Ray Vaughan, just like yourself. Um, and, and still am today. Like I, I still watch all those DVDs, you know, yeah, on a Saturday night, I'll, I'll sit and, and just watch and play. And it's some magic awesome. to it for sure. Yeah. There's magic. That's, yeah. that's the word. Magic. And that's still, you know, the most impactful musical experience I had was, you know, discovering that music and seeing those, the live in Austin city limits, the live in El Combo, and just seeing the passion and the, you know, ferocity and the energy in his playing and, you know, the tone. And the, I mean, this, the whole thing, it, it totally opened my ears to what is possible on the guitar. Absolutely. Beautiful. So much beautiful playing from, from Stevie. Um, who else, what other, what other guitarists have, have influenced you? Yeah. I mean, it really, you know, I have such a wide array of guitar players. It kind of, you know, goes through my, my history of what I studied and, and, you know, from, Stevie Ray at that time in my life, that kind of opened things up to Hendrix and mm -hmm. uh, Clapton and, um, you know, BB King, Albert King, Freddie King, Albert Collins, all those guys. Oh, yeah. um, and, you know, also at that same time in my life, I was listening to a lot of classic rock, a lot of Zeppelin and mm -hmm. you know, Jeff Beck and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and then the other kind of big influences for me, growing up early on, um, all the sort of Allman Brothers adjacent oh, guitar wow. players. Um, I mean, hugely influenced by Derek Trucks and Warren Haynes yeah. and Jimmy Herring and all the bands that those guys were part of, um, sort of in the late 90s, Aquarium Rescue Unit and Government Mule and yep. Broadway and all that kind of stuff. And uh, that music is kind of what led me down the road to studying and playing jazz. Because um, that that point prior i was listening to a lot of you know blues pure blues or, or classic rock yeah but those guys you know with the more extended jams mm -hmm. and hearing things that were leaning a little more, more towards the dorian yeah mode and mixolydian and those kind of scales uh started to open my ears to those sounds and i kind of realized you know i was listening to a lot of players at that time that were what, you know, I jokingly refer to as the Stevie Ray Bonnabies, you know, we all know the, the 
the, the guys, I mean, I, we love Stevie so much, we're all guilty of it, but the guys that, you know, tuned down to E flat and a Strat and a Tube Screamer and, and you know, kind of played just from that vocabulary. And I kind of realized as much as I loved that, I kind of wanted to have that as part of what I do, but go in a different direction yeah. uh, and kind of expand. And when I heard Jimmy Herring and Derek Trucks and Morton Haynes, um, those guys kind of opened my ears to stuff. And I remember getting Derek Trucks' first album, uh, the Derek Trucks Band record, and he covered So What by Miles Davis and yeah. Footprints by Wayne Shorter and yep. Mr. PC and Naima by John Coltrane. And so that <laughs> kind of led me down that road. And my dad, Very cool. a jazz fan, was you know thrilled at that opportunity because he always wanted me to play and study jazz. Um, yeah. So that sort of started the, the progression of me becoming more interested in jazz. Um, and then in high school, I went to a, a high school that had a great music program um, and a great teacher there, Steve Holly, who had just, just this awesome music experience for students. We had a, an R and B band um, as well as a jazz band. So oh, at the cool. same time, you know, I was playing in the jazz band and being introduced to Miles and Coltrane and Wayne Shorter and Sonny Rollins and all those guys. Um, I was also being exposed to Earth, Wind and Fire and mm -hmm. Sly and the Family Stone and Chaka yep. Khan and all the stack stuff and Motown stuff yeah, and the meters. And so all that stuff, mm -hmm. I, you know, could tie it all to the blues. And that's, I think why, yep. you know, any kind of, um, any kind of, you know, music that comes from the black experience, black culture, I was able to sort of tie it to the blues and I didn't yep. really see the difference. Um, and so that's why I wanted my playing to always reflect that. And so I started to want to play a lot of rhythm guitar, like the guys that play, you know, James Brown, but also kind of opened my ears up to jazz improvisation. And of yes. course my, my jazz guitar influences at that time. And still, you know, George Benson, mm -hmm. uh, Grant Green, West Montgomery, John Schofield. Yeah. Um, you know, so all that stuff. Wonderful. Kind of and with the blues. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and it, there's just something, something unique when you mix those two genres together. Right. And listening to your album, um, the back burner, I, I got that same feel, right. You where you're pulling in the jazz stuff and the blue stuff and just combining it. I love that sound. And I want to, I want to talk about your album because it's an awesome album. It's, it's very cool for, for our listeners who are listening. Um, you need to check out Jamie's album, the back burner. You can find it on Spotify and all other uh, platforms. Right. Um, what, what I want to know is your inspiration behind um, your album, the back burner. I want to know stories from the studios, your experience writing and creating your music. Tell us about it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for the nice words. Um, the album, uh, you know, it's, it's very important. I always envision myself being a solo artist, you know, from the time I started, I always wanted to be like all my, you know, guitar heroes that put out their own albums, their own records. Um, but I kind of took a little bit different of a path. This actually kind of picks up with my story, you know, as yeah. going, um, you know, I, went to music school and studied jazz. Um, and I went to Oberlin Conservatory for undergrad. And that, that's a pure straight ahead jazz program. And I definitely, at the, when I got there, was not really equipped to be there, but I 
didn't want to give up. So I took a crash course on studying that and, um, you know, fell in love with playing straight ahead jazz and got an arch top and, you know, transcribed and, and learned standards. And, um, it's still very much something I do. Uh, and, but I never stopped playing the blues and playing that sort of thing. So it took me a long time to figure out how I could do both and incorporate jazz vocabulary into my blues playing because I would kind of, I was this Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde situation (laughs) where I would, you know, one guy would have a pedal board and a strat and one guy would have an arch top into a polytone. And I couldn't quite figure out how I could make those things happen. Um, But after uh, graduating from Oberlin, I moved to LA and I went to grad school at USC. Um, They have a great studio guitar department and I got to study with a lot of great, you know, guitar players like Bruce Foreman and Frank Potenza and Pat Kelly. Um, And that, you know, led my journey still continuing more into studying. Um, But it was a great way for me to get into the LA scene. I think it was a lot better than just showing up cold. You know, I'd say 99% of the gigs that I do today somehow originated from a connection I made at USC. Um, so then after grad school, I just was dead set on making a career playing music. So I once again put my own solo career ambitions on the back burner, hence the name, um, you know, because I wanted to just, you know, make a living and play. So it got first pushback for my academic pursuits. Um, and then once I finished my degrees, then I just wanted to be able to play and make a living. And I also enjoyed doing the sideman thing. Um, you know, I love because I can play a lot of different styles and I, you know, I, I enjoy that role of also supporting an artist. So after graduating, I, you know, did a lot of playing and touring with different artists and a lot of gigs, you know, around LA and, uh, teaching and all that kind of stuff. And so I really wasn't focusing on my own thing. I'd maybe do a a gig of my own here or there, but it really wasn't a full-time kind of pursuit. And I really have to credit my wife for saying, you know, you've been talking about this album for so long. You need to get this done. You need to put it out this year. You need to make it happen. Um, So kind of around that time, I, I, you know, was talking to a friend of mine, Keith Armstrong, who's a great mixing engineer. He's got a great uh, home studio. Um, here in LA. And right around that time, uh, Josh Smith, who for I'm sure everybody knows, guitar hero, amazing guitar yeah. player, a uh, friend of mine, um, pretty much from as long as I lived in LA, uh, opened up his home studio, Flat Five Studios, and kind of put, put it out there that he was producing artists and going to start producing. And I thought, wow, the timing of all this <laughs> is really great. And um, I had an offer for a touring gig come in that musically was going to be really great, but the money wasn't quite there. And I was thinking, do I kind of sacrifice for the music? And I thought, well, you know what, if I'm going to sacrifice for the music, I should do it for my music, not, you know, for a tour, even though it was great music on the tour, it was less money than I would have just been making in town, doing my in-town gigs and my teaching. And I thought, you know what, if I'm going to, you know, put some things, I make that investment for good music, I'm going to do it for my own album. Yeah. So I called up Josh. I said, I want to do this. Let's do it. And I booked uh, a studio date, maybe a couple months out. Mm -hmm. um, And I had a lot of fragments of songs. Sure. Not nothing. A hundred percent finished. I had things that were anywhere from 20 to 80% finished. Yeah. 
And I just needed that date in the calendar as uh-huh. the motivation. I turned down the tour and, you know, just kind of got these songs together and ended up uh, deciding on just doing a six song EP. Uh, and yeah, and I just started, you know, finishing writing, reached out to a few friends uh, to help, you know, with some of the co-writing, which I can talk about in a second. Um, and so, yeah, so that, you know, the, the name, the Backburner just came from the idea that my own album, something I always wanted to do, just kept getting put on the back burner uh, to do this tour or this gig or, yeah. you know, finish my master's degree. And that was sort of the time that it happened. So, uh, you know, finished the tunes and got together with Josh and we sort of worked it out. And um, yeah, that's kind of what, what I came up with. Um, and so it was the kind of thing where I, knowing I was going to do a six song thing, I wanted to try to at least incorporate all the styles of music that I love and that I like to play and that I like to write Yeah. in one six song EP without sounding too, like every song is a different genre and it's not cohesive, which, yeah. you know, I don't know that I did that, but it's, it's, that was kind of the goal and a bit of a challenge and kind of with my, my playing too, just to be able to combine all those influences, but you know, have somebody who likes blues be able to listen from front to back, somebody who likes oh, yeah. funk or R&B to be able to listen to front to back and to hear all those sort of elements in it. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I've listened to it uh, a few times over this weekend and I absolutely love it. I'm a blues player. So I was attracted. I think the first song I listened to was Find My Blues. Oh, yeah. Awesome song. I loved it. Just the feel the sound of your guitar. T- tell us a little bit about that song. What was, what's, what, uh, what's the story behind it or, or how did, how did you create that song? Yeah. So that song, um, that's probably the most, you know, blues of the, the songs on the record. Um, that one, you know, just once again, kind of started with playing that little riff, that open string thing. And it's kind of a, kind of a magic Sam influenced yeah. kind of thing. I really like, open string guitar. I think almost every song there has some sort of open string you know, <laughs> guitar riff. And so I was around that time, you know, playing around with that kind of stuff, Magic Sam and Jimmy Vaughn and Lightning Hopkins and that kind of stuff. And so it's kind of that, but I also threw in a few, you know, different changes that maybe are a little, little outside of the typical blues realm. Um, and, you know, r- lyrically, that song was just totally about the sort of, um, kind of writer's block of trying to, you know, figure out how I can make a blues record and make it my own and, and the frustration yeah. of sort of coming up with that. Cause you know, I figured there's a lot of, a lot of great guitar players and a lot of great, um, you know, artists that put out music that is, you know, maybe there's great playing on it, but I, I wanted to really try to make a unique kind of thing. And, and whether I did that, I don't know, but that was, I think you did. Cool. Um, so, you know, thank you. Um, and so that's, you know, a song that guitar wise, you know, working with Josh, I mean, on every song we recorded, um, all the guitar tracks, uh, at his studio and, you know, had access to his wonderful collection of gear. Hell yeah. Um, didn't, I, I used a f- briefly a few of his guitars, but they're strung with 13s and standard tuning and, uh-huh. you know, I can't hang as much with that. Um, yeah. But, you know, his pedal board, we played through a couple of his Morgan amps. Um, cool. 
and his two rock and then uh oh yeah two rock. he has like a, like a 57 tweed basement or something like that that was on loan from bonamassa so wow very cool you know, and had those in the live room that's awesome completely cranked and you know i was in the in the control room and you know he just would every song just dial in these great tones i I didn't really say anything. I, he would just say, <laughs> like, on my, find my blues. The first thing he said is, all right, get your Les Paul. Here's the sound. And he dialed in this great slapback tone. And, you know. That's cool. That, that was that. The telly on the rhythm and the uh, my Les Paul was for the main riff and for the solo. And, uh, yeah, so that was that tune. So awesome. I love it. I love it. Uh, another one that I really liked off of the album Um was stay for the night. Thank you. What, uh, what's the story behind that song? And what's some of the gear that you used to record that? Yeah. So on that tune, um, I had that little riff for a couple of years and I had, and I had that other set of changes and I, I just couldn't come up with a melody for it. I spent hours just playing that riff and trying to write a melody over it. But I, in my head, the melody of that, that little guitar riff was so strong that I couldn't find a melody that was maybe more powerful or more predominant than the guitar part. And my head was just wrapped in that. And so uh, I've been working um, on and off for the last, you know, well, for the last five years now um, with an artist named Spencer Day. Uh, oh, a great guitar player, a friend of mine, John Story, has been playing with him for many years. And when, uh, John can't make one of the gigs I sub um, and, you know, I've played um, some, you know, a lot of out of town shows and a lot of different gigs with Spencer and Spencer. Uh, if you don't know Spencer day, check him out. He plays piano, he yeah. sings and he's an unbelievable songwriter um, and just has a great way with melody and with words and, and, you know, just phenomenal. So I reached out to him and I said, Hey, would you like to collaborate on this tune? And I sent him sort of a demo mock-up and um, he lives in San Diego. And so we did just kind of a, a FaceTime, you know, kind of a, a pre-COVID, but very much of the time, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, writing session where we go back and forth and we'd talk about it and then he'd come back with some stuff and I'd come back with it. And, um, you know, I, I probably should have had him sing it on the record because he's such a great singer. Uh, but, um, you know, we, uh, yeah, he, he sent this demo and I just fell in love with everything that he wrote and recorded on it. And there, actually there's, there's might be a version coming out soon, kind of a, a remix that Spencer and I have been working on. Nice. Um, but yeah, for that tune, um, that was a total telly uh, song. Um, the rhythm guitar part I played as well as the solo was on my Chapin T-Bird, um, which is actually, you know, similar to what Josh, uh, is known for playing. I played Josh's and another friend of mine had one that I fell in love with and I, you know, begged him to sell it to me, this my buddy Alan. And uh he wouldn't sell it to me and I one day, you know, I did it. <laughs> and I saw one on Reverb and they these Chapin uh -huh. guitars, they're phenomenal telecaster style guitars. They rarely pop up used. They're they're hard to come by. Yeah. And um one popped up on Reverb and it was like three miles away from me. <laughs> And it was a great price, but it had a P90 in the neck and it had uh, a little mini Seymour Duncan humbucker. And it was 
not quite. I wanted like a pure telly because at that yeah. point, my main guitar was an American standard telly that I was playing, you know, telly was my predominant guitar. And I yeah. wanted one. And so I went and I tried, I talked to the guy in reverb. Can I, can I check out this guitar? And I fell in love with the neck. This is the best neck I've ever played. Sure. But I didn't like that whole P90 and it had the six saddle bridge. I wanted a three saddle. And yeah, I talked to Josh and I said, you know, here's this Chapin. What do you think? And, uh, Josh was like, get it, you know, you, you could totally just put a normal pickup in it. And, and uh, Josh knows uh, Bill Chapin, the, the builder real well. And he uh -huh. kind of looked up some of the history of the guitar and realized that Josh uh, has a friend who previously owned this guitar. And I learned the whole history of it. And there was this random video of Josh playing with this, uh, I forget the name of the guy down in Florida from 2008 with my guitar uh, before <laughs> it was mine. So it was absolutely just a, weird coincidence so i bought the guitar it's crazy um switched out the pickups uh got some ron ellis pickups um josh hooked me up with ron ellis and threw those in there and mm -hmm. kind of one of my main guitars so yeah so that's what i used um on that tune and the only other guitar sound on there that i used um was josh has a fender bass six so that was kind of the baritone guitar vibe yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that we dialed in on that one very um, cool but you know totally the the reverb you know, tremolo kind of vibe. I'm very influenced by the Brian Blade Fellowship and the whole vibe of, of those records. Um, so that song is kind of my, uh, like aesthetically, that's kind of what I was thinking sure. for the guitar sounds. Very awesome. Yeah. Very awesome. I loved it. I loved all the guitar solos you did on your album. Just, they just, they just sound so great. It just made me happy. I just loved listening to it. <laughs> yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's awesome. What are some of the, uh, just some techniques uh, that you used on the album for combining jazz and blues? Since we've, we've kind of talked about your blues influence, your jazz influence, how did you bring those two together on, on your album? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, part of learning and studying jazz um, it's like a language, you know, in itself. And it's a language that incorporates the blues language. It's part of that vocabulary. Yes. And this is the way I, I teach, you know, my students, uh, as well as I think about, you know, you have a chord and any given chord, there are many different scale options to play. Some might sound uh, very consonant, very in the, the sound of the chord, some might have outside notes or outside tones or extensions that change the color. And I always, uh, uh, anybody who's taken a guitar lesson with me is probably sick of me making this comparison, but I think of an artist, you know, with a palette, a painter with all the colors and the artist knows how to combine certain colors to get just the right red, if that's the right color for that portion of the painting. Um, so I you know, tell my students that, you know, you have all these options and then when it's your solo, you can draw it depending on, do you want it to be a more outside kind of sound? Do you want it to be, you know, more in? Do you want it to be sort of a little homage to Albert King for a second? Or do you want to play something that's a little bit more of a, of a, you know, outside idea? And that could be something that you're dictating. It could be something that somebody you're playing with, somebody in my band might, you know, if we're playing a seventh chord and they play the flat five, that might cause me to play you know, a Lydian dominant scale, because I hear that and I'm engaging in that sort of conversation and that sort of musical, you know, interaction. So, yes. um, so yeah, I mean, I think part of 
what I did going back early on is when I started checking out Almond Brothers stuff is I started realizing that the, you take the, pen, the minor pentatonic scale and you throw in the second scale degree and the sixth scale degree, it's the Dorian mode. Uh-huh. And, you know, just hearing the sound of the ninth, you know, over a minor chord, it, it's sort of, oh, that's a kind of a different color than just playing a pure blues line. Yes. I'm only throwing in two extra notes than what was in the pentatonic scale. Uh-huh. So I'm sort of changing color of, of what's on my palette. I'm, I'm changing that. And then, you know, mixolydian. And then I started studying what can be done with, with diminished scales and with the modes of the melodic minor scale. And that just came from, you know, reading a lot of different um, books and studying, you know, the, the Don Mock books. If anybody uh, wants to get deep in melodic minor, harmonic minor, diminished whole tone, um, there's a great uh, guitar player and teacher named Don Mock who wrote these books when I was a freshman in college. I checked those out religiously and they explained, you know, what those scales are and how to use them. And so knowing whatever chord I'm playing over, I know that I can draw from if I want to play in the blues vibe, if I want to kind of draw from that. And, you know, we're talking about influences and players and, you know, I, to me, there are, you know, certain very few players who can legitimately, you know, play over changes. Yeah. And really draw from the blues as well. And, you know, people that influenced me in that regard, I mean, Scott Henderson, Robin Ford, um, you know, I mean, a huge George Benson fan. Oh, yeah. Um, I studied with a guitar player uh, in Denver named Mitch Chmara, who uh, is probably the greatest guitar player in the world. And it's, you know, most people have never heard of him. But if you go on YouTube and type, type in Mitch, C-H-M-A-R-A, Mitch Chmara, you'll find a lot of videos he posts. And he, you know, combines bebop and you know ted green and lenny broke chordal approaches but he can also sound exactly like hendrix oh wow combining that kind of bebop vocabulary i mean that's stuff i learned from him as well and so so yeah so that's kind of how i applied it and i just kind of took what i learned studying straight ahead jazz and started playing it on my you know my strat and my telly and my 335 and learning how to implement those things in blues even if the chord changes don't dictate that, uh-huh. you know, and that's something that, um, you know, is a great springboard for anybody who wants to kind of get into that Robin Ford, Larry Carlton thing is to just look at, you know, the, the going from the fourth bar of a blues to the fifth bar between the one chord, when it goes to the four chord, a two, five to the four. Uh-huh. And that's something that you can play. Even if the band isn't playing it, you can superimpose it and, you know, yes. can keep that sound. So, yeah, so that's kind of my, my approach um, in thinking of that way where I'm playing the changes, you know, even if it's, even if I'm just playing from the one chord to the four chord and I'm just thinking of chord tones, even if I'm not thinking of crazy melodic minor scales or diminished yeah. scales, thinking about ways that if the bass and the keyboards and the rhythm guitar and everything was gone and somebody was just listening to my solo, they would still have an idea of what the chord changes are. Yes, Exactly. Very cool. Yeah. I loved it. It's amazing where when you can start by learning the pentatonic scale and then to kind of do what you, you said, add those extra chord tones into the pentatonic scale. And it just kind of takes you on different paths, different sounds other than the pentatonic scale, just focusing on the pentatonic scale. So yeah. I, I just, I just listening to your album, I just kind of heard all that. And I'm like, it just, I thought it was cool. So 
I, yeah, I love it. the uh, and Robin Ford is one of my biggest um, heroes, guitar heroes. So, oh yeah, um, me too. <laughs> you know, combining the two um, and understanding how to speak over each chord with with scales and arpeggios and all that stuff, it's just it's it it speaks to me and it it grabs my ear right. It grabs my ear whenever I hear that combination. So it's it's very unique combination to me, and that's that's why I just love what you do. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yes, yeah. this caught my attention. So I think it's awesome, um, Jamie. What uh, what projects are you currently working on? You, I know you teach guitar lessons. Um, tell us a little bit about any of your projects, whether it's an, um, more singles, an album, or or courses or guitar lessons what, what what projects are you currently working on right now yeah well um of course right now you know all the gigs have come to a halt um so i've been doing a lot of teaching um i teach you know lessons over zoom um, which has been great i uh yeah i mean i i reached out you know on instagram and said hey i'm at home anybody want to take some lessons and it's, i've been teaching people all over the world um you know, people in Europe and Asia and Australia and, and a student who I never met who lives, you know, two miles up the road. Um, so it's been great to meet, you know, all kinds of different people over Zoom and share ideas and play. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I've been doing teaching. I've been involved with uh, pickup music um, for the last year and doing some online courses and things for them. I've okay. uh, done two volumes of beginner guitar, uh, master classes, uh, sight reading, and then I've done a bunch of lick, like top 10 licks, yeah. of George Benson, Jimi Hendrix, John Mayer, uh, Freddie King, cool. Prince, a bunch of my favorite people. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, I've done some video kind of stuff um, for them and got some more stuff in the works with pickup uh, coming up. And um, in terms of playing, you know, I, I for the last uh, 10 or so years have played with an amazing singer named Raquel Rodriguez. Um, and she sings on a song on my record. Uh, and it's very beautiful. My yeah, thank you. I love yeah, that she, song. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's an unbelievable singer. That song um, I originally wrote for her. Uh, you know, I've, I've recorded on all her albums and done a lot of co-writing with her. And, oh, wow. um, and uh, yeah, I mean, she's a phenomenal singer, uh, you know, kind of R&B, neo-soul, funk. Um, yeah. Kind of, you know, coming out of that vibe. And um she and her partner, Sam, he's a drummer, uh, have this great studio, uh, Blue Dream Studios in LA, and just churn out these great songs. And um, so, you know, playing and writing and working with her has been a constant. It's been, you know, the one kind of constant in my musical life the whole time I've lived in LA. And they're, you know, they're also my closest friends. That's so awesome. it was great to have her. I knew when I was going to put out an album, how could I, you know, do it without having Raquel? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, we you know, the song that never ended up making a, it was kind of a groove I'd written. So uh, we enlisted our friend Amber Navrin from the band Moonchild uh, to write the lyrics. Okay. And Amber, Moonchild is this incredible band, friends of ours. We've known them since we were at USC, formed out of them, uh, the USC program. Yeah. And Amber wrote these great lyrics and the melody and Raquel, you know, sang it and killed it. And so you know, been working with her and another, actually mentioned story from the That's album great. I was going to mention, um, through Raquel, uh, Nigel Hall from the band Lettuce uh, played on a few tracks on my record. Um, oh, cool. He, he does a lot of production 
and playing for Raquel. He's based out of New Orleans, but he comes here and works with her a lot. Okay, cool. And, um, you know, so he, he played on my record. I was very fortunate to have him kind of overdub on a few tunes, um, including on the back burner, which I just want to let everybody know when you yeah. listen to that, that's a one take organ solo. Yeah. Um, yeah, he, yeah. he walked in, I had everything. I saved two tracks, you know, for him. Um, and he came in and I brought the charts and I said, all right, Nigel, here, here are the charts. And he looked at me and he goes, mm, I don't do charts. Just let me <laughs> hear it. So he put on headphones, that's listened awesome. about one time down and said, okay, go. And he played through both the back burner and castle green and oh, wow. killed them both. I mean, just nailed them. I mean, you know, I probably at that point still needed a chart for my own tune. He heard it once. It was unbelievable. And he did a solo, the organ solo on the back burner, which is just this burning, you know, B3 solo. It was yeah. recorded at, uh, at Raquel and Sam's studio. Um, one take. He just played this killer solo and he's like, cool, done. That's so awesome. Oh, I love so, that. That's so badass. Yeah. So that, that was another <laughs> highlight of uh, making the record was, was having him on, the, on the, those two tracks. Um, so yeah, doing stuff with Raquel and, and playing at her studio. And then, um, you know, this was planning on beginning of the year, I was going to do a lot more of my own shows. Um, that didn't yeah. quite, you know, pan out. But uh, when we do get back to playing live, that's something I'm definitely looking forward to doing. Um, had a great show here in LA in January with my band and I want to just kind of keep that going, keep developing that. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm dying to, you know, get a new record out. Um, this That's one great. was just kind of, you know, get dipping my toes in the water and, and great. testing it out. And, and now that I know that, oh, all right, I can do this and, you know, put out my own music, uh, you know, got, got a few songs in the bag and I gotta, gotta keep writing, but, um, there'll be more. So that's what well, I'm looking forward to. And, yeah. I'm a bi I'm a big fan, so I can't wait. I I love I love your music. I love what you've done. It's uh, it's awesome. Where can people find you? Uh, like you you mainly use Instagram for your music. Yeah, um, I you know post a lot of little guitar videos and things on Instagram. Um, just my name J A M E Y A R E N T. Um, and you know I have a, a Facebook page and a YouTube page, and I've actually uh, since I've been sitting here at home for the last couple of months, I've been posting a lot more, uh, YouTube lessons. Um, just trying to think of either things that I've been working with my students or that people hit me up with questions about or stuff that maybe I don't see a lot of, uh, guitar videos on YouTube about. So I've been doing that. So you can find me on YouTube also with some lesson videos and yeah, Instagram, Facebook, you know, Twitter, all the usual places. And, and I mean, just so our listeners know, Jamie, Jamie posts awesome content. He's a great teacher. I've watched some of his videos on his Instagram and I, I learned some awesome things in, in a quick uh, minute Instagram video, right? On a post that you did. So go follow him. He's a wonderful guitar player, a wonderful person, and he writes awesome music. So I'd, I'd like to encourage all of our listeners to go follow him and, and check out his awesome music. Jamie. Thank you again for coming on the podcast. This was Man, such just, a blast. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, such a thank blast. you for having I, me. I can't wait until you make something, a new album again, and we're gonna we're gonna have you come back on. We're gonna talk about blues and jazz. I get to, I seriously could talk to you all day. Oh, <laughs> me too. Yeah. <laughs> You'd like to remind our listeners to go uh, find us on Facebook, find uh, the Guitar Freaks Facebook page, um, and you can join us there and connect with. Um, can connect with our guests and other listeners there as well. Um, Jamie, again, 
it was an honor meeting you and a, it was an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for, for being here. Thank on. you again for having me, Justin. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right. Rock on everyone. Thanks for listening to the Guitar Freaks Podcast. Check out www.fretdeck.com to help you learn the guitar.